Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We've now come into the second section, having had Jeremiah prophesying that Jerusalem is going to suffer sword, famine and pestilence. After that is going to come such favour and blessing from God, not because of anything you've done, but because He's good. Have you ever found yourself weary in doing life? It's easy during times of weariness and difficulty to doubt God's authority and power. Perhaps we should be checking to see if sin is dragging us down. No matter how bleak our circumstances, though, God can rebuild. Only God can forgive and satisfy the weary soul. Tonight in Jeremiah, Dr. Corbett looks at exactly that. I will satisfy the weary soul. Well, I'm actually going to open with verse 25 and take that as a text. And, and part of that verse 25 text is th- this statement. Note this, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. What's a languishing soul? Someone who's like, I can't go on anymore. I'm overcome with disappointment. I'm overcome with this sense of hopelessness. I haven't got the energy to take one more step. I can't keep doing this. And God says, I will replenish I will satisfy, I will restore. And today there are people right here in this room who are weary and languishing. And you need the Spirit of God to satisfy and replenish your soul. Let him do it today. So here we are. We're going to open up with verse 23. So I've given you the key text. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Once more, they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes the Lord bless you O habitation of righteousness O holy hill Jerusalem of course was an unusual city and it's a constant reminder having a city on top of a hill with no natural water source this is not back in the days when you had a pumping station pumping water up a hill This was a constant reminder of how dependent they were every day on God for something as so basic as water. Next verse, verse 24. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together. And the farmers and those who wander with their flocks. Very interesting. A city that would be both rural and urban at the same time. And here's our key text, verse 25. For I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. I love this next verse. Considering all that Jeremiah had been going through, all of the opposition, all of the attack, all of the mockery, he says this, at this I awoke and looked and my sleep was pleasant to me. It's not just a sleep that he's talking about. It's a sleep in which God was speaking. A sleep in which God was speaking and he could awake from this vision, this dream. And almost say, God, now you're talking. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't know how many more prophecies I could give with the word sword, famine and pestilence in the same sentence. Now, oh God, you're talking about satisfying, replenishing, restoring the weary, the languishing soul. That is pleasant. 
God, I look forward to that day. Well, you would think his original audience would too. You would think. And what became, let's jump ahead a little bit in the story because we know that Jeremiah had prophesied Judah and Jerusalem's destruction. And today, we, we look at the things that Jeremiah pointed out as problems in Jerusalem and, and Judea and go, what's, what's the problem? It's not like they're doing anything horrendously bad by our standards today. <laughs> and isn't that the problem? Our standards today may need adjusting. Now, if you think we're talking about being legalistic and, 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 and living our life by rules that are more important than the God we serve, then, then you're misunderstanding. That's not what we're about at all. We don't want people just to be rule keepers. We want people to love Jesus and live lives that love Jesus. And as Christians, that's all we're trying to do. Love Jesus. And when you love Jesus, how do you treat other people? You love them. You're kind to them. You're nice to them. Even those who aren't nice to you. So Jeremiah had prophesied Jerusalem and Judea's destruction. And we, we know the response that he got. They, when he was prophesying that Babylon would come in and destroy Jerusalem and and, and take people out of the, the country of Judah. His countrymen doubted. They rejected his prophecy and they doubted him. Now, guess what? <laughs> the fact that they didn't receive his prophecy, the fact that they doubted it, the fact that they rejected it, had absolutely no bearing on the truthfulness of Jeremiah's prophecy. It still came to pass. It still came to pass. And I want you to hear this because I think this is a really important principle. The effectiveness of a prophecy is not determined by its reception. Now, you might think, well, okay, that sounds obvious. I mean, if God inspired the prophet or the prophecy, it makes sense that God doesn't need a vote. It doesn't need an approval rating for that prophecy to be come to pass that makes sense to me i hope it does i i hope this is uh you know if you're going to yawn during my sermon now be a good time i hope i hope that that that's, this is where it happens god's prophecy doesn't need your vote god's prophecy is not determined by your reception and you'll go as if it would as if god needs my approval or my prayer or my anything for his word to come to pass and I'm, i was thrilled that you were yawning no more yawning from this point on no more we, as God's people, really need to test prophecy. And Scripture gives us a number of tests. And I've got, <laughs> I've got a very simple test for predictive prophecy. If someone claims something's going to happen and it doesn't, for me, just me, it might just be me, if they predict something's going to happen, particularly by a certain date, and it doesn't happen, this is my personal, I'm not pushing my personal opinion on anyone, I say that prophecy's failed. Not trying to be opinionated. I'm just giving you my test. Now, if it, I'm, I'm actually not original because I think this also occurs in Deuteronomy chapter 13 where it actually says, 
This is the test. If a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, then there were consequences for that prophet. It's not the only test. There was another test that said this. If a prophet prophesies something and leads people away from obeying God, that prophet is a false prophet. So I think as God's people, we need to be very discerning. There actually is one of the nine fruit of the Spirit is the gift of discernment. And discernment is not the ability to tell right from wrong. That should be obvious. Discernment is the ability, the gift from God, to be able to tell right from nearly right. That's discernment. Now, here's, this is interesting. In Jeremiah's lifetime, this is one of the reasons why I have so much confidence in, in the Bible as being divinely inspired, because we have the record of Jeremiah making these prophecies. And in his lifetime, so within 10 to 12 years, Everything he prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem came to pass. Amazing. Just amazing. It's incredible. And now he's prophesying about Jerusalem's restoration. Now, here's the unbelievable thing for his audience. Initially, they didn't believe Jerusalem would be destroyed. They didn't. They just didn't think it would happen. They didn't believe God would do it because, after all, his temple's there. That's where he lives. Why would he destroy his own house? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, they said. Without realising, they turned the temple, they turned the things in the temple into something superstitious. And we need to be very careful that we don't do the same thing today. Become superstitious rather than spiritual. And when Jerusalem was destroyed in just what, what is a relatively few short years i think i can remember the 2000 sydney olympics remember that that was like yesterday was but that was 13 years ago can you imagine that time what jeremiah has said about jerusalem being destroyed in that kind of time frame bang it happens and it happens on a grand scale eventually the temple that they almost worshipped was literally taken apart block by block. It was completely dismantled. The walls had gone and they saw it. So when Jerusalem was destroyed, suddenly for many people, Jeremiah became a true prophet. His prophecy was fulfilled. But what we're, about, what we're looking at right now was unbelievable. Unbelievable. They could hardly believe Jeremiah's prophecies of restoration. They couldn't believe it. Here's the application, if I can jump ahead to an application. For many of you, you've lived a relatively good life. Can I say you're almost a rare breed? There are people in our city... Who's, if they told you their lives, the story of their lives, you, you, would, you would be aghast at how much someone can mess up their lives. Now I know, because I do this all the time to my shame, I get a little problem and I look at it and I get closer to it. What happens when you get closer to things? 
They fill your vision. When something fills your vision, it looks bigger. It looks bigger than it actually is. It's interesting that the Bible says, come and magnify the Lord with me. What is it saying? It's saying, come on a Sunday. Come into worship. Forget about these things. These things. And let your distant vision of God fill your vision. Magnify the Lord with me. And here we have in our city, and I, I hear the problems in our city, in people's lives. People's lives can get horribly messed up. The, the, the most tragic for me is when I hear of somebody who was raised in a church. They turn up every Sunday as a young person to church. They get to that point where in all that time they've never met Jesus. They've never fallen in love with Jesus. And they go off and they get mixed up with the wrong crowd and they start to take gateway drugs like tobacco and alcohol and it leads to hard drugs. And next thing, they're doing recreational drugs and next thing they're sleeping around and either pregnant or getting a girl pregnant and can't hold down a job because they can't wake up in the morning because their head hurts so much. Next thing, they take more drugs to numb the pain and the spiral goes down and down and down. And we've got hundreds and hundreds of these people. Just This is in our city. And at one point, you could look at this and go, well, we just got to write all those people off. It's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. And you've just used a word that I take out of every dictionary I have. Hopeless. Because while there's a God seated on the throne of the universe, that word does not exist anywhere in the universe. Nothing is hopeless. And here you have Jeremiah saying to the people, God is going to judge you. You have pretended to be his people and you have gone after Moloch and Ashtra. You've taken your children outside the city. You've headed just east down the cliff where the temple backed up to, in the shadow of the temple, there was a valley called Hinnom. And in that valley, there was a furnace, a place called Tophet. And in that furnace, they would take their newborn babies and throw them in and offer them up to the god, Molech, that he might prosper and bless them and help them to be more fertile. And it's not so hard. To see where the furnaces to Moloch are today. We live in a society that's aching and it's hurting. And, and I've been thinking about this that we said before that, that society is motivated so much by feelings and not by truth, not by right knowledge, but by feelings. I should be able to do this because I feel like it, is the mantra of our generation. And yet, the one feeling that everybody in our society is craving for that 14 year old girl in Hobart was craving for was to be happy she'll tell you I just want to be happy the, 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 the ask people what do you want from life I just want to be happy 
And yet every research in social data says that Australia is fast becoming one of the most unhappiest people on the planet. What's going on? Well, what's going on is if you swallow the lie that there is no God, suddenly life is just random chaos. It's an accident. This just happened. We just happened to be the planet that got the, the, the numbers lined up. We're all random, chaotic products of chance. There's no God. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. And if you haven't got meaning in life, you can't possibly find fulfillment. If you can't find fulfillment because there's nothing to fulfill, you can't possibly be happy. It's not possible. But let me tell you, that whole story is a lie. There is a God who knew you, who saw your life. He planned your birth. He planned your conception. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. There may be illegitimate sex, but not an illegitimate child. There's no such thing as an accident in the shape of a child. No such thing. Because God is a God of design and purpose and plan. And God's plans are where we find our true fulfillment. And here's the great news. When Jeremiah was saying, I look beyond the destruction of Jerusalem and I see a city rebuilt. I see farmers bringing their produce in. I see people trading fairly. I see homes intact. I see mums loving their children, husbands loving their wives, families together. I see Jerusalem prospering. I hear this saying, may you, this city, be as blessed as Jerusalem. I see it, says Jeremiah. I see the restoration. I see it. And they couldn't. And they couldn't believe it. And this became unbelievable. But there was one young boy, his name was Daniel. He believed it. He wrote it down. How do we know that? Because in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, he quotes it. He reads it. He says, this is your word, God. This is your word. I believe it. Now he begins to co-labor with God in prayer. And we should too for the restoration of our city. And here's the deal. You may know someone whose life, family, business, their world looks bleak. It looks bleak. Jerusalem looked bleak. It was depleted. It, they, people just couldn't imagine it getting any worse. And yet it did. And here's the deal whenever God restores. Sometimes in order for God to rebuild your life, your world, things may get worse before they get better. Ever started praying for someone to come to Christ, hoping that they'll become a nicer person, a kinder person, a more Christian-like person, and they just seem to go further away? Don't be surprised. That should be a sure sign to you God's at work in their life. Whenever someone starts to fight God, rejoice. Because history tells us that when you fight God, there's a certain winner. Verse 27. Behold, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck them up and break them down to overthrow, destroy and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Wow. 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 (laughs) Verse 29. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse 30. But everyone shall die for his own sin. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. What's happening here? What, what, this sort of like almost sounds random. But you've got to understand, Jeremiah is saying, because of your immorality, because of your ignorance, because of your idolatry, and the people are saying, hey, hey, hey don't blame us. It was our forefathers. It wasn't us. We're just, it was them. They're the really bad ones. We've, we've grown. Our religion has evolved. We've been, we're progressive religionists. They're the ones. Blame them. It's not our fault. It's them. No fault. Boy, where do we hear that today? Accepting responsibility. Aren't we a, such an accepting responsibility generation today? He said sarcastically. He said in a you got to be kidding sort of tone. From the time of the very first sin, mankind has been blaming. You know that, don't you? God comes into the garden, call of the day. Adam's already sinned. Adam and Eve have sinned. God says to Adam, what have you done? Adam's first reaction is to blame. Adam says, it was her, the wife you gave me. See what's going on here? What, what does Eve say? Eve says, it was the snake. And the snake hasn't got a leg to stand on. So, it's an oldie. But a goodie. Blame. Now, here's the deal. If you want your life restored, the blame's got to stop. Your marriage may have fallen apart and you can blame your spouse till the cows turn blue and they, to mix metaphors, they go out on a limb and they pull the rug out from under your feet. It doesn't matter. Stop blaming. Stop it. It's, blaming's not going to help. It's not going to get anything fixed. And so we need... To say, God, I come before you now. I feel a little ripped off, but I'm accepting that I am who I am. I'm where I am. Now, God, I pray, restore my life. Replenish my weary soul. Satisfy the deepest longing of my soul. You pray a prayer like that, you're going to have to do what the New Testament says. And we're in 1 John. And we're nearly done here now. 1 John 1.8. This should be a memory verse. And maybe some of you have got it up here. Maybe you've memorized it. I've been with too many dying people who for most of their lives were Christians and they get in those final moments of life and they wonder whether they've committed too much sin to be accepted by God. And I think, how on earth do you live for so long pretending that you 
believe what you've got in here because you don't believe up here, you believe in here. Believe it in your heart, the Bible says. And this is what we need to believe, these two verses. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's just context. That's not the verse. Here's the verse. If you haven't got this one underlined, highlighted, circles, sticky notes, then I can only imagine you've never walked into a stationery shop. That's all I can imagine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you get that? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all the mistakes you've made, all the sin you've committed, all the dumb things I've done. And oh, they ache my heart. But to know that I can say, God, I did that. (laughs) That was me and I'm so sorry. And to experience his cleansing, his forgiving, his washing. Oh, man, if we could bottle that and sell it, we'd be multi-trillionaires by lunchtime. People want this. They long for it. And here's the deal. Only God can forgive and satisfy the weary soul. Jeremiah was prophesying of the coming Jesus. Jesus is the one who restores. And only God can forgive and satisfy your weary soul. If you're weary right now, God can satisfy you. If you are languishing in your soul right now, God can replenish you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, the weary, replenish those who are languishing. Lord, bring restoration, I pray. Lord, Lord, strength for the weary, hope for those who feel all hope is gone. Father, we thank you that your word was wonderfully, beautifully fulfilled as we read in Scripture, that you did restore Jerusalem. And the reason Jerusalem existed came into that city on a donkey walking over palm branches. And Father, the same reason that our life exists is seated on the throne of the universe right now. Now, if you're here and you know that you've never been forgiven, you've never known God refreshing, restoring your soul, I pray that there would be a prayer of your heart that says, today the blaming stops. Today, Isaiah 43, 18, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Behold, it now springs forth like streams flowing through a desert. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring restoration and healing to every person within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. If only God can forgive and satisfy the weary soul, then any efforts we make are like pulling ourselves up by our bootlaces. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, I Will Satisfy the Weary Soul, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Legata Media, PO Box 1143, Legana, Tasmania 7277. 
For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.